Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. If you were here last week, you remember the context of Daniel chapter 9. The people of Israel had never truly served only God. If you kind of think about the history of Israel, they started out one way and next thing you know they were worshiping idols and and I think um I think we can relate to that a lot. I think we can relate to the fact that that God calls us to serve only him and sometimes we find ourselves serving other things. You see God had given them generation upon a generation to turn from their wicked ways and to serve him. He always does. He's so graceful. He sent prophets and holy people to teach them to tur- to return to God, but Israel never did. Finally, as you recall in Daniel chapter 1, God gives them over to their enemies and King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he carries them off out of the promised land into captivity in Babylon. Now you remember in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is around 80 years old, somewhere in his 80s. And I love the fact that Daniel's in his 80s. Okay, he was carried off from Israel at a very young age. He was probably a teenager, and there he is in his 80s, and he's reading the book of Jeremiah. We call it the book because that's what we have, but really it was a scroll. He's reading Jeremiah, and he comes across something interesting. Not happenstance, not circumstance. God had ordained this, but he comes across and he goes, well, wait a minute, I see something. And and he says, wait, the the prophet Jeremiah is talking about the desolation of Israel or Jerusalem, and it's only going to last 70 years. So in his mind, what's he thinking? Oh, we get to go home. We get to go home soon. Are you kidding me? Now, you need to understand the context, and you need to feel the weight of what what Daniel's going through. He's been at a foreign land. Everything is foreign to him. Everything he loved is there in Jerusalem, and he knows it's lying in ruins. He knows it's desolate. And so so year after year, even though he's risen to prominence in the the province of Babylon, he still wants to go home. He still wants to go home. And so he goes, man, 70 years... And, and you don't understand what this means as he looks at the, at the book of Jeremiah and he goes, Oh, Israel, we get, to go, we get to go home. This is close. This is close. And I love what it does because the news of Israel getting to go home, it's almost 70 years, he falls to his knees in prayer. He falls to his knees in prayer. And he confesses his sin And he confesses the sin of his people. If you recall last week, we said the same thing. The encouragement for us is that, listen, it's almost time for us to go home. It's almost time. We have have the whole canon of scripture and we get to read, whoa, it's almost time. It's almost time. Oh, how I would love to sit and celebrate and have a ball. It's almost time to go home. Let's Let's go. Listen, but... A lot of times, as we're going to learn tonight, the closer we walk with God, the more we realize our sinful state. 
You see, we think when we first get saved, we go, hey, ooh, this is good, this is good. And then you start to walk with God, and then you start to realize, oh. Oh, and like Paul, you start to say, oh, wretched men that I am. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe the attitude that I have. I just, oh, Lord, forgive me. And then you get closer to God, and you realize, wow, I need a lot of work. And so when you come to church and you go, man, I need a lot of work, it's because you're walking closer to God. You're walking closer to God. So this news that, that Daniel reads, it says, man, wow, 70 years, we're almost, almost get to go home. This is amazing. And he starts to confess. And you know, what he, you, know what he, you know what he prays? And we did this last week. He proclaims that God was right in his judgment of Israel. I wonder how many times when we pray, we call out God and we think he's unfair. Well, I'm not sure if that's really right, God. I'm not sure if this is how I would handle it and not, not Daniel. Daniel gives us a good lesson. He says, we were wrong. Israel was wrong. We hadn't served you the way you've commanded us. We've, we've worshipped other gods. And I love that he pleads for mercy from God, not because of Israel's newfound righteousness, but because he falls on the mercy of God and that his name would be glorified, this great act of mercy. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. You see, when we pray, I think part of our prayer should be asking for mercy. God, have mercy on us. Show your mercy is great in our lives. And of course, each and every day that we get up and we live in this world, God's mercy is on us, is it not? It has to be because we walk in this world and it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Bible tells us that the soul that sins shall die, shall die. And so we have to have his mercy. We have to have his mercy. I was thinking about King David. Do you guys remember King David? King David, you know, he was, um, man, he should have been out. He should have been out. It was prescribed by God. You should have been out at war. The kings go out to war. Not David. David made a choice. David said, I'm going to stay home. And David says, no, nah, I think I'm going to, this lazy decision thinks I'm going to just be here. Walks out on his balcony. He sees Bathsheba. Next thing you know, he gets her pregnant. You know, well, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants. But, but that led to something even more crazy. You go, what was that? He, he was involved in murder. He had the, the husband of Bathsheba murdered, Uriah. David, a man after God's own heart. David. He thinks he had it all covered up. Okay, well, sorry, sorry for your bad luck. Your husband died, but you can marry me. And then what were the consequences to that? The little baby died. The little baby. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and then, but, but I started to think, you know what the consequences for sin is? Is death. Somebody has to die. And then I went into praise because I was thinking, my sin. Somebody has to die, but I didn't have to die. Jesus died for me. He died in my place. But see, the, the payment was still made in full. It was still done. And, and, and again, it wasn't, oh, well, I'm, I'm good and right. I'm going, oh, Lord, somebody had to die, and it wasn't me. And it wasn't me. So we call upon God's mercy. God, thank you. Thank you. Now remember what we learned last week. Daniel was a godly man who realized his nation had sinned greatly against God. Now here's what I love. Let me just give you a side note. The closer we walk with God, the more we realize how much of a sinner we are and how unworthy we are. And that really is the goal. The goal is for every one of us in this room to walk closer to God. 
to have that unbelievable, amazing relationship with God that we would walk so close. And let me put this in, in, in a term that we could understand. I want to walk so close with God that I could feel his breath on my cheek. And if I were to go to hug the living God, I would feel his heartbeat next to mine. I want to walk close to God. I want to walk close to God. And yet, you and I, each day we live in this world, we fight against all of the things that want to pull us back down into this world. Daniel. Listen, Daniel, living in a foreign land, still praying, still serving God for 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 how many years? Well, he's almost 80. He knows 70 is almost up. Daniel was a godly man. Daniel was a godly man. So what does Daniel do? Daniel prayed to make it right with God. He prayed to confess his sins and he brought and 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 he brought curses on Israel's people to, that brought those curses. He prayed to confess the sin and that would be that would separate him from the God of Israel. Lord, we we confess that. We confess that. That was Daniel's prayer. I want you for just a moment, Christian, to think about, okay, you're in the same situation. We're about to go home. You realize we're about to go home. You know that, you know that time is short. You know that the, it, everything that Jesus said in Matthew 24 is coming to pass. It's time to go home. What's our reaction? Because I would think if Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah and he goes, oh, 70 years, that he would throw just this incredible celebration. We get to go home. We get to go home. But he... He first falls to his knees in confession. Hey, Lord, I want to make sure. I want to make sure. I, I want to do that. Now, last week we talked about this, church. We talked about Daniel's prayer and how it consisted of four important truths. Do you remember what they were? In verse 4, our first truth was that it was praise to God. Anytime we pray, that should be the first thing that comes out of our mouth, praise. I had to take a moment today to look at my own prayer life and realize, Lord, is that the first thing I do when I come into your presence? Lord, do I praise you? Do I give you all the honor and glory? Because sometimes we're conditioned, listen to me, sometimes we're conditioned to come in and ask real fast, don't we? Lord, I got two minutes. Lord, do this, do this, do this. Hey, can you do this? Lord, can you make that light green? Because I don't have any much time. I'm running late as it is. Lord, and 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 Daniel says, no, no, no. And, and throughout the Old Testament, you know, the Amidah, it always starts with prayer, adoration. God, you were amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And then from verses 5 to 11, he talks about confessing, confessing our sins, confessing our sins. Lord, I'm not clean. You see, the problem is, is that pride seeps in our heart. And we go, man, I've been serving the Lord. I'm the pastor. I think should be good. But really, if we go to the bottom line, it's like, Lord, I've got so much growing up to do. I've only been walking with you for 30 years. I have so much more growing up to do. Lord, season my life with grace. Season my life with grace. Help me to see just well, how life really is so that I can extend grace on other people, so that I can love people into the kingdom. Season my life with grace. Lord, I'm so far from you. And he confesses that. And then in verses 11 to 14, if you recall last week, it was the results of sin. He preaches the results of sin. And then verses 15 to 16, here's his prayer request. And if that wasn't enough, 17 through 19, he gives another prayer request. And we'll look at those in just a moment. Now, the purpose of this prayer, the main point, was nothing but confession before God. 
confession before God. And this is a very important function of prayer, confession, confession of sins to God. Why? Because verse 4 states it clearly that Daniel writes, he prayed to God and confessed. Daniel had read the scripture written by, Je- by Jeremiah the prophet, and he came and realized, oh, the reason we're in this situation is we have sinned. We've sinned. So what does he do? He confesses and he repents. And so the last of his prayer was a couple of requests. Take a look at me, verse 15 and 16. This is the first prayer request. And Daniel writes, Oh, now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and you made yourself a name as it is to this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because... For our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are reproached to all those around us. And so that's his first prayer request. Now the second prayer request, we talked about this last week, it was here, my prayer. Look at verse 7, 17. He says, now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake my God, and for your city, and for your people, are called by your name. So that's kind of where we left off last week. I wonder in our own prayer life, as we take a moment to ask the Lord to hear our prayers, to search our hearts and say, Lord, where am I with you? How are things with us? Hear my prayer, God. Have mercy on me. I've blown it. Well, tonight, we continue with verses 20 through 27. I'm calling this message, if you're taking note, how close are we? How close are we? You go, why would you say that? Well, listen, listen. Tonight, we discover that we're on the threshold of the final seven years of the prophecy here in Daniel 9. We're we're on the threshold. You see, any time we could see our world, Daniel 9.27, come to pass. Any time. Any time. So the question is, how close are we? How close are we? Well, let's jump in and find out. In your Bibles, picking it up in verse 20, Daniel writes, Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel. Let me stop right there. We know that Daniel was a godly man. We know he's a godly man. And yet, here he says, I was praying and confessing what? My sin. My sin. So Daniel wasn't this, oh, look at this. He's this super saint, man. He was a godly man. And yet he says, I was was praying. I was speaking. I was praying. And I was confessing the sin of my people. You know, sometimes when we as a country have murdered so many babies, 
It's the same as our confession. Lord, forgive us. We have murdered these babies. We confess that as our sin to you. You see, there's something inside us sometimes, saints of God, there's something inside us that goes, well, I didn't do it. I don't need to confess that. But as mankind, as, as a nation, a nation that's supposed to be under God, we don't confess those things. We don't confess those things. And so he says, I was confessing. And he says, and I was presenting my supplication before the Lord my God and for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Do you see that? Now, a couple of neat things here are in these verses. Here's what I want you to know. Daniel calls him the man Gabriel. The man Gabriel. We know him as the angel Gabriel. Okay, Daniel calls him the man. But I just love this. I just love this passage, and I don't know if it jumped out at me or what, because there's some amazing encouragement for us every time we see Gabriel. You go, why? Because every time we see Gabriel, he's proclaiming the coming of the Lord. He's proclaiming the coming of the Lord. Like in Luke chapter 1, verse 19, he's preparing Zacharias for the coming of the Lord. Zacharias, the Lord is coming. <laughs> in verse 26, he proclaims to Mary that she will be with child and she shall call his name Jesus. He's preparing the coming of the Lord. As a matter of fact, in chapter 10, we're going to see a battle between Gabriel, Michael, and Satan going on for 21 days. But here's the point. I want to be like Gabriel. You go, what do you mean? I want to be like Gabriel. I would encourage you to be like Gabriel. What do you mean? Always proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. Always proclaiming. And here's what we should be doing. We should be reminding people of the soon and sudden return of Jesus. That should be our goal. Well, you're a lot like Gabriel. Why? Because you're always, you're always telling me about Jesus. You're always sharing about Jesus. You're always proclaiming he's coming back soon. So, we should always be proclaiming. And that should be our goal. Jesus is coming back. And so, I think we need to be like Gabriel. Or I want to be like Gabriel. Every time I come up from the pulpit, I always say, hey man, the Lord's coming back soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? He says this, notice again, he says, while I was speaking, the man, and when I was in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I'm seeing in a vision, he said, he was caused to fly swiftly and reached me about the time of the evening offering. Guys, circle that word, the evening offering. At this time, Gabriel is sent to Daniel to tell him of really the Messiah's death and the consequences of it. He's going to see that in verse 24. But you got to remember, it's almost been 70 years 
And what Daniel did is he never forgot his heritage or his customs. You go, what does that mean? Well, I'm thinking 70 years in a foreign land, away from all that you love, and yet he simply tells us that Gabriel came right around the time of the what? The evening offering. Some of your translation says the evening sacrifice. Now, if you have a pencil handy, you can circle that. It's about the ninth hour. About the ninth hour. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And what it was, it was the same time that Christ was crucified on the cross. The evening offering. And I like the fact that although Daniel was in a foreign land and being trying to be trained up in the ways of the Babylonians and so forth and so forth and so forth, he still kept the heritage of how he was raised. How he was raised. I think there's some great application for us, don't you, church? You go, what's that? I think we never forget the sweet times we've had with the Lord, the sweet times we've had in Bible study, and the sweet times we've had in worship. Those things that you cut your teeth on. Do you guys remember? Do you remember when you first got saved and everything was so new and so fresh and amazing? And man, you couldn't wait to read your Bible and you walked with it and, and man, you, it was just, it was just, just there's just this joy. And then a year goes by, two years, three years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and, and somehow we don't have that joy anymore. And we go, well, oh. And I think Daniel's trying to remind us, go back to that place. Go back to that place where you once, man, used to walk with God. And you used to, and, and all you could do, it, and there wasn't social media, and there wasn't all of these stuff. You just had your Bible, and, and, and my day was, it was a Walkman with cassette tapes. And, I, and, and, and I'd be listening to all the te- just cassettes, man, cassettes, one after another. And I'll never forget, um, part of, of, of being called into the ministry, I'd go down in my basement and I had, I had went to the Calvary Chapel in, in St. Louis and I said, give me all of Pastor Chuck's through the Bible. And I walked out with two giant boxes of tapes. Literally, I'm not kidding you. And I had these tapes. And so Genesis 1, I put it in my Walkman and Pastor Chuck was so slow. And I'd be there in the early morning going, and I'd think Pastor Chuck was done and he'd stop and he'd pause. And I think, okay, he's done, right? And then he'd go, now. And you're like, ah. And, some, and, so, and so every day, every day, just going through the Word, every day listening to Chuck and just taking notes and just soaking it up. Oh, I remember those days. I remember when, you first, when I first got saved and all I wanted to do is tell people about Jesus. Oh, do you know my Jesus? And I've got to ask myself, now I'm going to preach to me. Y'all can listen if you want to, but I'm going to ask what changed. Why have we stopped? I I miss that guy. I, I have more Bible knowledge now than I did then, but I had more zeal then than I do now. What's changed? Oh, that I would have a heart for Jesus more than ever now. And I'd have the joy of telling people and sharing. Guys, don't let our city change who we are. Oh, well, they're already saved. Everybody's saved. Oh, yeah, they're saved. They go to church everywhere. Just, just be you. Hey, I've got to tell you about Jesus. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes many people doubt what Jesus can do for the drug addict or for the, or for the broken marriage. Oh, I don't know if the Lord will do anything. We forget that, guys. We forget how good God is, and, and we forget the peace that he can bring to those who are empty, to those who are lonely. We forget that. I love that Daniel doesn't forget, and he remembers, he's like, man, it's about the evening sacrifice, yes. We know Daniel got in trouble when they made a decree, and they said, hey, you can't pray. You can't pray to anybody, but, and he goes, okay. And he opened his window toward Jerusalem, and he prayed, hey, look at you, and he's like, whatever, whatever. Church, we're moving into a world that doesn't want God. We're moving into a world that's going to be anti-Christian. We're moving into the world, and you know what we're going to do, church? We're going to be bold. We're going to open the curtains, and we're going to pray. And we're going to, people are going to know that we're believers. Not because we have to stand up or wear T-shirts or have, have all these bumper stickers on our car, but because we live that way. We're bold enough to share. Yeah, but you could get killed. Mel, you could get killed. If you go and proclaim, you, okay, as long as, and, 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 and here's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, as long as, I, whether I live or die, as long as I can glorify God and further the gospel. Guys, the Bible says the gospel is the power of salvation, and we've lost the gospel. We've lost that boldness. We've lost that, that just excitement to share the gospel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, why well, go to the... I'm saved. Yeah, grandpa was grandpa was a preacher and great grandpa was a preacher. I've been saved uh, forty-five years. Well, have you notified your face? Because you don't look like you're saved. It goes on. I spent a lot of time in that verse. It goes on in verse twenty two. He informed me. And he talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have come now. I have now come for to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Don't you just love that about Gabriel? Gabriel comes in and goes, Man, since you prayed, I've been, I've been trying to get here. But let me tell you one thing first. You're just loved. You're just loved. And, but, but here's what I need you to do. I've, I've come to give you skill to understand. Skill to understand. Now, let's chat a minute about prayer. From the time he says you started to pray, God was already working on your behalf. God was already working on your behalf. He commanded me to come and tell you some things. I love that. Church, listen to me. How many times in prayer do we feel like our prayers are not being heard? God, please, God. But here the Bible encourages us to continue to pray because God's already working even though you can't see it. Even though you can't see it. You might have some random girl sit at your table. You have no idea what she's doing. And you end up being friends. You just don't know. God was already working on behalf. Isn't that right, Abriana? What am I doing here? I don't know. Somebody said to come in here. No, no, no. God was already working. And then you find out, and then you find out, check this out, that some of your best Calvary pastors, 
raised her. And I get a text going, you won't believe this. And I didn't believe this. I didn't believe this. This is a small world. It's not a small world. God was already working. I'm over here praying, God, please, oh Lord, I don't see anything, God. Do you even hear me? God's like, dude, chill. I've already got it worked over here. But it's not your timing. It's my timing, is it not? Is it not his timing? Now, sometimes I think God's late. He's never late. I think that sometimes. That's my bad. That's my bad. I love what Luke writes. Dr. Luke writes in chapter 11, verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be open. So that's what we got to constantly do. Just pray. Okay, Lord, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep knocking. Why? Why? Here's why. He says, for you're greatly loved. And God wants to give you all the best. Here we're told that he loves us so much, so much that even in prayer, the answer might be no. The answer might be no. You guys know this. When we talk about prayer, what are the answers? Yes. No. Wait. Maybe later. But I've told you this before because this reflects a lot of my life. When God says no, I don't rejoice the same way when he says yes. You go out to buy a new truck. I'm going to go buy a new truck. I'm going to go buy a new truck. Oh, Lord, I found the one I like. This is amazing. And you pray and you ask God. And God says, no, that's not the truck for you. I don't rejoice. Woohoo! Guys, guess what? God said no. I don't. No, we walk away going, I don't understand, God. I don't like it. It's my color and everything. Just me? Just me? Come on, guys. But, but sometimes the answer is no. Be careful, because sometimes the answer is maybe. And if you're like my granddaughter, maybe means yes all the time. Okay? She's like, she's like, maybe. Oh, that means yes. And she runs it. No, it means maybe. But God says, God says, yes, yes, yes. No. Wait. Listen to me, church. So you're encouraged. When we've prayed, God has answered yes, and he's healed some amazing folks. And when we prayed, his answer was no, and he took amazing folks home. Which I still think is an amazing prayer. Although for the family, it's not so good, because they'll miss their father and their dad and, and their husband and so forth. But it's still, it's still an amazing, we still rejoice, don't we? And then sometimes he just says, wait. Wait. Now, notice verse 23. He says, therefore, here's what I want you to see. Consider the matter and understand the vision. Do you guys see that? Verse 23b. Therefore, consider the matter, what I'm going to tell you, and understand the vision. So here we go. Four verses that are super packed with prophecy. You ready? I want you to take notes, okay? Because I'm going to give you the four verses broken down. In verse 24, jot this down. We get a picture of the first and second advent of Jesus. Drop that. Verse 24, the first and second advent. You go, Ben, what, what does advent mean? It means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. So in verse 24, we're going to do a picture of the first and second advent. In verse 25, we discover 
that 483 years out of the 490 years are completed to the day. And we'll have to do some math. So put on your thinking cap. Yeah, Joe, we've got we to do some math. Get ready. In verse 26, we get a glimpse of the crucifixion and by whom, and yet we'll see it as a dual prophecy. You know what a dual prophecy is? prophesying and then yet to come. That's verse 26. And then in verse 27, we're going to see a peace treaty that will usher the return of Jesus for his church, the second coming. Okay? All of this is prophesied in Daniel. You ready? So let's jump in. What's verse 24, guys? We're going to see a picture of the first and second coming. Notice what it says. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for the iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up division and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Daniel, Gabriel says, make sure you understand. Men, understand. We've got to understand. Put on your thinking caps. We've talked about this in great length. The weeks right here are... They mean sets of seven. He says there are 70 sets of seven, seven-year periods. So what you would do is you would take seven times 70, and that would equal 490 years. 490 years. Another way to say this verse, and I'm not sure why he didn't say it this way, is basically 490 years are determined. But he says 70 weeks are determined. Okay. So, far today, we're at 483 years. So, we have seven years to go. Seven years to go. Now, I want you to put that and just put it in the back of your mind because we'll keep this in mind when we go to verse 26. But here's what he's talking about. He says, note for your people, the Jewish people, not the church, okay? Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jewish people, not the church. He then breaks down the advent, first when Jesus came as a baby, and then second when he comes as a king. What's the point? He says this. This is the purpose of Jesus, to finish transgression. What does that mean? Taken literally, this means establishing an entire new order on earth with the end of man's rebellion to God. He's going to finish that. He says, to make an end of sins, taking these words at face value, here's what this means. It means not only the end of guilt of sin, but an end of sin itself. It means to seal up, to restrain sins. This looks to be a new and redeemed world. This would be now the second coming of Jesus when he comes back as a king, not as the little baby. He says he's going to make a reconciliation for iniquity. Man's iniquity must be reconciled to God's justice and holiness. This work was clearly accomplished on the cross. It was redemption. He reconciled us back to God. Why? Because of our iniquity. Our iniquity. Do you remember what iniquity is? Iniquity is saying, there's the line. I know it's wrong. I'm going to jump. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it. That's iniquity. So we needed to be reconciled. And now... Look over at verse 26 real quick. It says, notice the Messiah will be cut off. Do you guys see that in verse 26? 
the Messiah will be cut off. Here's what you can circle. Cut off means crucified. Crucified. Okay? So, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that here in just a minute. The next thing we look forward to is the second advent. The second advent. What for? Well, here's the second. To bring an everlasting righteousness. This means a new order of society brought on the Messiah. So the second advent, again, moving from the millennial reign to, to a new heaven and a new earth. To seal up the prophecy and the vision. This speaks of both ending the fulfillment of prophecy, concluding the final stage of human history, culminating with the reign of the Son of God. So again, guys, look at this. The first advent, here he comes. The second here is both an everlasting righteousness and to seal up, and there won't be a prophecy. And then look at this, the last one, to anoint the most holy. This refers to a place, not a person. There is a most holy place, the most holy place of the temple that will be anointed and blessed. So it's the holy place, not a person. Now, let's look at verse 25. Now, he goes, know therefore and understand. Okay, Lord, help us to understand. From the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. Now, remember, Daniel has no idea what this means. And so he's at, so Gabriel said, give me, give me wisdom. So we need wisdom too. We now understand there are how many, Joe? 70 sets of seven to start. When does it start? At the command to rebuild Jerusalem. That's when it starts. Picture in your mind a giant clock. And the moment he said, go rebuild, go rebuild Jerusalem, the clock started. That's when it started, okay? You guys with me? I'm trying to make it really, really, really easy. That's when it started. Now, again, until when? The command to rebuild Jerusalem started until the Messiah, the prince. That's when it ended. That's when it stopped, okay? It's not ended. It stopped. Forgive me. If you're taking notes, here's what I want you to jot down. Nehemiah chapter 2, Darius gives the command to rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, everybody see the clock? It's going to start. This happened, jot this down somewhere in your Bible, March 14th, 445 BC. March 14th, 445 BC. When did it, when did it stop? When did it stop? Not end, when did it stop? Until Messiah the Prince April 6th, 32 AD. 32 AD. So all of a sudden, it started. From the time that Darius said, go, till Messiah came on April 6th, 32 AD. Now, March 14th, 445 BC, command and go and rebuild. April 6th, 32 AD, was Jesus' triumphal entry in the cities just days before they crucified him. April 6th. Okay, you go, oh, okay. Okay, so wait, wait, wait. March 14th, 445 B.C., April 6th, 32 A.D. 32 A.D. Wait, Ben, you said that there's going to be 490 years until all of this is done. But right now... You said we're also at 483 years. How so? 
Well, good question, guys. Let's do some math. March 14, 445 B.C. to April 6, 32 A.D. gives us, jot this down somewhere, 476 years. Now, you're looking at it going, 45 and 32, that's not 476, is it? Yeah, you, all you all you A-type personalities are like, wait a minute. I was homeschooled, I know. Here's what you need to do. You need to remember, there was no year zero. It went from 1 BC to 1 AD. So there wasn't a zero, so you've got you to take that. You're like, oh, sneaky, okay. So the first thing you do is you take 445 and go to 32, gives us 476. Now, you said we had 483 years. But here's what we need to do. You ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thoroughly confuse you, Joe Mabry. We need to update the calendars to the Gregorian calendar. 365-day year versus a 360-day year Jewish calendar. You go, okay. So 400, we're at 476, Amen. And you times 365 gives you 173,740 days. Okay? 173,740. You can do the math. Get your, get your phones out, but don't, don't go to Facebook. Just do the calculator. Now, if you were to take 173,740 and divide it by the Jewish days of 360, you would get 482. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're, we're still off. We're still, so what are we missing? Well, first and foremost, we need to take into account um, the 24 days from March 14th to April 6th. So add another 24 days. Another 24. Okay. So 173,740, 24 days gives us 173,764. You're just adding 24 days to the 740. You got that? You go, Ben, 24 days is not going to get us another year. Not going to get us. We're at 482. We need to be at 483. Oh, yeah. Don't forget, we need to take into account the leap year days. From 445 B.C. all the way to 32 A.D., we discovered that we have 116 extra leap year days. So let's all those add up. 173, 764, plus the 116 gives us 173, 880. 173,880. If we divide 173,880 by the Jewish prophetic calendar, 360 day, guess what you get? 483 years. What does that mean? You have 69 sets of seven. If you don't add the leap years, then I've had so many people go, it doesn't add up. God's word is, no, 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 it adds up. That's exactly what we are. We have 483 years, meaning there's seven years left to go. When I'm going to get ahead of myself. When Jesus died on the cross, guys, the prophetic calendar stopped. You're going to see something here in just a minute. It's going to start up again when he comes back and takes us to heaven. I'm wrong. It's going to start up when the peace treaty signed and the seven-year I had to be careful because most people correlate the rapture with the tribulation immediately. 
And it's not. The tribulation starts when the peace treaty signed. The rapture could happen right now, and the tribulation may not start for another year or two or three or four. We don't know. I'm ready for him to come get us now, but, but that's, you, you guys understand the point. So the 70 weeks are, are divided into three parts. You guys ready? Seven weeks, it gives us 49 years, until the city and the walls were rebuilt. So it took 49 years from the command to go and build. It took 49 years. That's easy to understand, right? 49 years of construction. 69 weeks, 7 plus 62, is 483 years from the decree until Messiah, a prince, appears. We know that's Jesus. The final set, the final week, is going to complete prophecy, which brings us to verse 26. And after 62 sets, the Messiah shall be... Now, here's what I want you to see. Cut off. You guys see that in your Bible? Cut off. Circle that word because that means... Cut off means crucified. Crucified. He's going to be publicly executed. That's what it means. Publicly crucified. It doesn't just mean, well, the Messiah is going to be killed. You won't know where it is. It's going to be done in public. In public. But not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come. Now notice the word prince there. Okay. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it all shall be with a flood. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Okay. So a total of 69 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, publicly crucified, but not for himself. Why? Remember, church, Jesus was not guilty of anything. He was crucified for us. Because in order to atone for sin, somebody has to die. We're sinners, and that's how we get saved. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, you've heard it said, and it's commonplace and cliche, if you're born once, you'll die twice. You'll die physically and you'll die spiritually. If you're born twice, you'll only die once, physically. But you're born again. So, again, think about it. Think about it. It says, it says here, guys, look at verse 26 again. The prince who is to come, do you guys see that? He says he's going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, we know through history, this happened around 70 AD. Titus the commander, Titus the Spasian, from Rome came in and he destroyed the city and he destroyed the temple. Can I give you a side note? Just a side note, because I know you guys are thinkers. Most historians and even the Bible says when the, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, it was literally leveled to where it, it was nothing could be seen on it. It was completely leveled. I want you to do some research on that. I want you to see. Why? Because history in Israel... You go there, and you'll see the Temple Mount, and you'll see the Western Wall. Well, if historians are right, and the Bible is right, there shouldn't be a Western Wall. It should be flat and completely nothing there at all. But the Jews believe that the Western Wall was part of the Temple, and so they go and they pray to the Western Wall. 90% of Israel believes the Temple Mount is right where the Dome of the Rock is, but there's about 10% that believe that that was nothing more than the the place where the Romans housed the the Roman soldiers. 
because there were 6,000 Roman soldiers, that's a cohort, and then you had 4,000 support, you can't put them in a, in a church this size. You have to have usually five acres and, and, and all the barracks. Just giving you food for thought. Just giving you food for thought. You go, why would you say that? Here's why. Because what if, and we're going to talk about this in Daniel 9.27, what if the peace treaty has nothing to do with the Temple Mount? What if, and this is just me, in my opinion, everybody, I'm over here, it's not, it's not the Word of God, I'm not behind the pulpit, it's just my opinion. What if, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, they discover some ancient writings that tell us exactly where Solomon's temple was? And then the temple that was rebuilt by Herod. What if they say, oh, we found some ancient, where we were excavating, we found this. These are, these are legit documents that say the Temple Mount was 600 feet from the southern steps in the city of David. You know what that would do? That would expedite the third temple and the return of the Lord. What if, what if they found that? Well, how would you know? Well, because it's supposed to be a plane. There's supposed to be nothing there. Now we, we found all of this stuff. I was thinking about this. To have the Dome of the Rock and the Jewish temple on the same platform, that's like mixing oil and, 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 and gas, don't you think? It's just not going to flow. I, I, and I was thinking, yeah, but they could put a wall. But you got to understand, the Muslims believe that's where Muhammad ascended to heaven. They're not going to want to share with anything else. They're not, they're, they're not going to be like, yeah, well, we'll compromise for the sake of peace. I mean, there's got to be, I was just like, wow. And the Jewish people are not going to want to offer the sacrifice looking for their Meshach when they know that the temple is going to be defiled just over the... I, it's, it's just my thought. I'm getting off track. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Let's, let's go. Here's what I want you to do. In your Bibles, I want you to see that there's a gap between verse 26 and verse 27. I want you to draw an arrow there and say, here's a gap. You go, what's the gap? It's known as the church age. It's the age we're in now. Verse 26 and verse 27. This is where we are. Once verse 27 goes into play, my prayer is that we're raptured or we have already been raptured. So here's the final seven years of history. You ready? This is known as the tribulation period. It's also known you here as Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. Look at verse 27 with me in your Bibles. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for how long? One week. How much is one week, guys? Seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. On the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. The prince, in verse 26 The Antichrist, previously introduced in chapter 7, verse 8, is going to make a peace treaty with the world, particularly with the Jewish people. 
This is going to usher in the tribulation. In the middle, in the three and a half years, here's what the Lord said. At the three and a half year mark, he's going to break that covenant and desecrate the temple by demanding worship of himself. We talked about this before. It's the abomination of desolation, the three and a half years. You go, Ben, what am I doing at that time? If you're a believer here, we're in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're, we're just enjoying, this is great, but do you know what's going on here on earth? Well, why would you tell me this? Because here's what prophecy does. It should stir up in us a, a boldness and a love to tell our friends about Jesus. Well, this is going to happen. Yeah, you don't know. No, no, I've studied it. This is going to happen. He's giving it in plain language. This is going to happen. Please, hear me out. Hear me out. You can turn there. You can read it. Matthew 24. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 24, verse 15. He says, Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Now, <coughs> Daniel prophesied about it. It happened with who? Do you guys remember? Antiochus Epiphanes? But, he's, but Jesus, it, it already happened, but now Jesus is saying, now listen, there's going to be another one coming. He's coming. When you see it, and he says, whoever reads, let him understand. Let those, when you see the abomination of desolation, when the, when the Antichrist goes in the temple, and he offers a sacrifice, he goes, oh, that's bad. That's bad. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down or take anything out of his house. And let him who's on the field not go back and get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So, Daniel, do you understand? And yet a lot of Jewish people right now don't understand that he was talking about him. So, so, so there you are, and, and you're with Jesus, and he's telling you this, and he goes, hey, when you see the abomination of desolation, you're going, wait a minute, I've read in my history books that that was Antiochus Epiphanes. What are you talking about? He goes, no, 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 one's coming. No, no. And see, right now, the Orthodox Jewish person, and probably many Gentiles, are, are looking for a, a Messiah, a Meshach. They're looking for a Savior but mostly Orthodox Jews. And so, so when the Antichrist comes on the scene, oh, he's the Savior, he's the Meshach, he's the 12th Iman. This is him. Let's go, let's go. Until the three and a half year mark where he goes, oh, guess what? I'm not really the Messiah. I'm. And he's going he's gonna to kill the Jewish people. That's why Jesus said, flee, go, 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 run. And I love that he tells us he's going to protect them. He's going to protect them. Now, back in Daniel. Let me show you one more thing before we close. Okay? Back in 927. Do you guys see that? And he shall confirm. I told you this before, but do you mind circling that? And you can write next to this. Here's what it means. Enforce, strengthen, or pressure. Enforce, strengthen, or pressure. Now, it seems like, because the word confirm is used, it seems like there has to be a peace treaty in place already. Wouldn't you agree? So that, so that the Antichrist, all he has to do is enforce or strengthen it. You and I, 
could have a peace treaty on the table in the books, and all they're waiting for is for us to sign it. But right now it's not signed, is it? You're going, okay, Ben, where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? This is just a thought. This is just a thought. What if I told you that there was already one in place? What? Yeah, that there was a peace treaty between the Palestinians and the Jewish people. Wait, what? If you're taking note and you want to look it up for yourself, it's known as the Oslo Accords. O-S-L-O Accords, and it's called the Arab-Israeli Peace Process. Way back in 1993, September 13, as a matter of fact, Israeli Prime Minister Yatsit Rabin and the Palestinian Liberation Organization, you know this is the PLO, negotiator Muhammad Abbas signed a declaration of principles on the interim and it's called the Self-Government Arrangements, commonly referred to as the Oslo Accord. And they signed this at the White House in 1993. Israel accepted the PLO as a representative of the Palestinians, and the PLO renounced terrorism and recognized Israel's right to exist in peace. This was huge. This was huge. You go, wait a minute, Ben. From what I'm understanding, the, the Arabs, and are, they're shooting rockets at Israel. They, they think they should own the whole land. They're, they're not at peace. No, but back in 83, they had something written up. See, both sides agreed that the Palestinian Authority, known as the PA, would be established and assume governing responsibilities where? In the West Bank? and the Gaza Strip over a five-year period. Then, permanent status talks on the issues of borders, refugees, and Jerusalem would be held. So you understand, they have this piece, they get it signed up, and they go, okay, so for five years you sort of run your little government, and we'll, we'll talk some more, and then we'll get, something, we'll get something solid to where the Palestinians can live freely, and Israel has a right to live as well, and there should be peace. The Muslims, Palestinians, the Arabs, they control the Temple Mount right now. Israel owns the Temple Mount. They did, they got that in 1967. As a matter of fact, if you're taking note, funny thing, on June 7, 1967, which is today, they actually regained the Temple Mount, but they let the Muslims, they let the Arabs, they let the Palestinians keep control of it. How many years from 1967 to now? 56? 56 years they've had control. Oh, there's so much. Anyway, back in 1993, but then President Bill Clinton administration played a limited role in bringing the Oslo Accord into being. It would invest vast amounts of time and resources in order to help Israel and the Palestinians implement an agreement. By the time Clinton left office, however, the peace process had run aground, and a new round of Israeli-Palestinian violence had begun. 
Hmm. There's something in place that maybe needs to be strengthened or maybe just needs to be ratified. You go, Ben, why would you tell us that? Here's why. Because if the harpazo can happen at any time, let me say this again. If the covenant all had to do is just confirm to be reestablished, so that would begin the what? Tribulation. Then the harpazo, the rapture, is going to happen before that. Anytime. Okay, so here's, here's one word I want you to take home tonight. Anytime. It can happen anytime. It can happen anytime. Now, now listen. What if, what if, we find a document, we find some ancient writings that says the temple can be rebuilt here. Boom. Okay? You're going to have, you're going to, this, this peace treaty can happen very quickly. You had something called the Abraham Accord back in 2020 with President Trump. Do you remember that? Everybody thought Trump was the Antichrist because he was establishing peace between, again, um, just Palestinians and you know, all, all of this stuff. I read about it today. My brain was going like this. But it wasn't the same. It wasn't between the Palestinians and land and, and, and so forth. And it wasn't between who, who, who gets the Temple Mount. I'm just giving you a thought. I'm not telling you that's what it is. I'm just saying, I just want you to start thinking, wow. So this thing could happen pretty quick. So what should I do? Like Daniel, like Gabriel, be telling people, live your life so radical for the Lord. So radical. Listen to me, church. Run hard and fast after Jesus. Run hard and fast after him. Leave no stone unturned. Look for divine appointments and share the word of God. You know, what if they don't listen? Love them. But if they don't listen, okay, God, give me somebody who will listen. Give me somebody who, will, who I can share with. Let my social media be used to uplift the name of the Lord. That's what it's about. Can I get an amen? amen? Father, we thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you've just um, shown your word to be so true. I would ask God to, that you would forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. I want that guy that got saved 30 years ago, Lord. I want that guy who was so excited about you, who loved you. I want that guy who would just, who would just smile and, and, and want to see people saved, want to see people walking in you. Lord, Lord, every one of us wants that, Lord. Would you just, um, Lord, there's a song that, that goes, Light the fire again. Lord, light that fire, light that passion in my heart. Lord, please. Father, the leadership and the pastors of this church, anoint Pastor Sof. Whether, whether I'm here or he's here or whoever's behind this pulpit, anoint them to preach the good news, Lord, to be excited about how beautiful and wonderful you are, to feed the people so well. Lord, thank you. 
Lord, raise up new leaders, God, in this church to take us, Lord. We have such a limited time. We cannot be playing around. We have to do what you've called us to do. Let us be bold. Let us remember, God, that you're working behind the scenes and we will continue to pray. We will continue to seek you because we love you, Lord. Father, my prayer is you would fill every one of these blue chairs, God, with hungry, hungry people who love you and want to know you. Let us not, Lord, get lazy in these last days, but renew our spirit. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.